Um, haven't, got, haven't got the weeks mixed up. I know we're reading from Genesis 3. But as I uh, open this passage and about the commandments, um, I ask God, like, what, what is it that is to be said this week? And I, I honestly believe that the way that God leads our thoughts as we prepare his, from his word is... Um, there's nothing too academic about it. It, it is such a, uh, a, I say, a revelation of God's word to, to, to lay on the heart of people to teach his truth. And, and so I believe this is a message that God has prepared for us today. The, the sermon really could be, it's on the front of your in-touch, do not steal, don't lie, don't lust after your neighbour or their family or their possessions. And there we have it, Sam. Our short service is done and dusted for the day. <clears throat> many, uh, you know, many people have distorted uh, the truth of God and 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 don't have a, a really an understanding of who God is and how God works. And it has led, as we see in the Pharisees and the Sadducees, it's led people to believe that they have to earn their way to God, that they've got to make their way up to God. They've got to be good enough to come into the presence of God. And it continues to be, thousands of years later, continues to be false teaching in churches and the, the basis for so many religions that you need to do good works to reach God. You need to follow the Ten Commandments. You need to keep every commandment. You need to do, you need to do every single thing that Jesus taught about. And once you can do all that stuff, God will welcome you. God will give you a sense of belonging. But we know if anyone's hope for heaven or hope for being redeemed by God is based upon works, not in a million years will anyone be good enough. And anyone who lives that way will never experience the grace and the forgiveness of God. Jesus is the perfect one. Jesus came and paid the price for our sin. That we wouldn't be under a burden of guilt and shame when we sin, when we break the law, when we disobey, that we don't run to a place of shame and and, and hide and guilt and think that we've got to do better, we've got to be a better person. We haven't kept that well enough no, we are to come to a place of, of realising that Jesus has paid the price for our sins. Come to the cross and experience forgiveness. Martin Luther said, the law is a mirror which reveals how unclean we are. And it is like a whip which stings our back and drives us to the cross for salvation. And today as we 
come to this last message of, I think it's been four weeks on, on the Ten Commandments, I, 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 there will be maybe a bit of, uh, you know, a bit of crossover and a bit of repetition of things that have been said last week and previously. But it, as a summary, I really want to, I want to look at w- what law should we as believers, as people have placed faith in Jesus as our Saviour, what law are we to follow? And I suggest that if anybody is to be concerned with the law of God, which we'll look at this morning, it is believers. As we saw in that uh, that good little video, Sam, thanks for sharing that, the, the, the law of Moses, the book of the covenant, it's called, or the Mosaic law, we, we see around 613, um, sometimes that's debated, but that's not important, laws. And some commentators say, like they said in that video, that the first 10 are, are the 10 commandments and, and then there's 603, perhaps. But there are certain things that we want to, I want to notice this morning and distinctions between the law of Moses and the law of God. I think it's important. In Deuteronomy 31, it says it came about when Moses finished writing the words of this law in a book until they were complete. So my, Moses was writing the laws from God on parchment paper. And in verse 26, it goes on, he says, take this book of the law and place it beside the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, that it may remain there as a witness against you. So once Moses is finished writing it down, once he's finished this book, he places this book, this paper, this book, on the side of the Ark of the Covenant. Israel at this time, Israel was a theocracy, not a democracy. They were, Israel were governed by God. They didn't have a, a house of representatives. They didn't have a, a single leader, a king or a, someone who was ruling over them. There was no senate or legislation. The only lawgiver was God and therefore he gave laws to his people. And the law of Moses had written down were of a civil and ceremonial nature directed at the management of Israel under God. And it had so much to do with its marches, its wars, inheritance, its marriages, its celebrations, its feasts, how it's all to be done. And it all points to Jesus. You see, as we saw in that video, the, the civil and ceremonial law was, was put in place by God for his people to set them apart. Because God wanted to use his people to reach the nations. That the world would see God's chosen people and be attracted to their God. And Jesus comes along and fulfills the law. Now God hasn't called us to these civil and ceremonial laws, but he has 
still called us as his people to be separate. He still wants the world to see us, the church, and be attracted to him. But not through the civil and ceremonial laws, through the power of the Spirit working in our life, that people would see Jesus. That people would see the way that we love people and forgive. And say, what's so different about Morris? He belongs to Jesus. I see Jesus in Colleen. Now that brings us to the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments, the law of God. It's referred to in scripture as the tablets of testimony, the law of love, the Decalogue. And we've read a number of times from uh, Exodus 20 where, where, they, where they're outlined there, God outlines them to Moses. But there's a clear distinction between the, the, the civil and ceremonial laws that Moses had written down on paper and in Exodus 31, we see that Raph mentioned it last week, that God, the law of God, these Ten Commandments are written by the finger of God on stone. And it speaks to its permanency. And remember the law of, of Moses was, was placed beside the ark. We read in Exodus 40, he took the, the testimony, the law of God, these two tablets, and attached and placed these, the testimony into the ark and attached the poles to the ark and put the mercy seat on top of the ark. Now, the ark of the covenant, as you would probably mostly be aware, is that very sacred object that God had the Israelites build that was a representation of the very presence of their God in their midst. And the mercy seat was the the place where the, the priest would come once a year and place the sacrifice for the sins of the people. And the ark was only to be carried by the poles by the Levites and was never to be touched because no sinner could touch the ark, the presence of God and live. You see, the law of God, the moral law of God are are not just mere guidelines, boxes to tick off to say that you're good enough. But they are very descriptive of the nature of of God, of who God is. And that's why they belonged inside the Ark of the Covenant. That they were descriptive to to tell the people that Yahweh is the God of truth. That Yahweh is an honest God. That he is the provider of all things according to his riches. That he is a, a God who is faithful and ever-loving.
So, of course, that belonged inside the place that was seen as the presence of God in, in, inside the tabernacle. Well, I, I sort of got wandering this week in my thoughts. And uh, <clears throat> if you ever prepare a message, I, I find this, and probably not just preparing a message, but you know, like studies or anything, sometimes our, the mind wanders off on tangents and we start to think about a question and maybe sometimes you can spend an hour, you know, considering something. You're like, hey, I've just wasted an hour. It's nothing to do. But that sort of happened this week and I've put it in because I think it makes sense, I hope. Some commentators say before Mount Sinai, that if you're tracing it back to like Adam and Eve, it's probably about 2,000 years, maybe even longer. And the question was, well, what instructed people of God's nature? What, what told people of his character? What convicted them of their sin? So we come to Genesis 3 and God puts this one restriction on Adam and Eve who were perfect, created in the image of God perfectly. You can eat any tree from the garden except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And Satan comes along and promises by using God's word and twisting it, if you listen to me, you'll you get a conscience. You know the difference between right and wrong. Don't you want to know what it's like to be like God? Doesn't a conscience inform us whether something is good or evil? It does. And as soon as they ate... They were aware. As soon as they disobeyed, they knew it was wrong. And the, the inner monitor that we call the conscience accused them of something that they had not experienced before. Their eyes were opened and they knew that they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. They heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden and they hid themselves. We're all born with a conscience, an innate knowledge, awareness of what is right and wrong. Paul says in Romans 1, because that which is known about God is evident within them. For God has made it evident. You see, God has made it evident to create through creation and through conscience that he exists. That people are aware there is something greater than themselves. And a sense of responsibility to do what is right. We often make light of the fact that you don't have to teach uh, children 
who are back to school this week. Don't have to teach them uh, right what is wrong. We don't have to teach them the word no. <laughs> that sort of comes automatically. Um, we don't teach our children to lie, do we? It comes automatically. And in a three-year-old, when they say, I didn't do it, and then their eyes go around, it's like, it's, it's actually a bit cute. It's like, oh, I remember Mackenzie and Ava when they were little, and they both got blue eyes, you know, and they had nice cheeks and, like, it melt my heart. It's a lie, but like, it's melting my heart and I'm like, I can't get angry. I can't tell. Oh, you know, you come and give me that. They're still playing on that on me, the, the eyes, you know. As we get older, we tend to get better at disguising that when we tell a lie, when we take something that's not ours, when we do the wrong thing. We get a bit, because it's not as cute when you're 42, (coughs) even with the blue eyes. They're still blue. See, what we read in Romans is that people, they, they hush the truth, they suppress the truth in their mind. That they hold that knowledge down and, and, and replace that knowledge with lies. With their own desires. With corrupt religion. That they will covet, uh, 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 I came across this description which I really liked uh, about coveting, an uncontrolled lustful desire for what you don't currently have. And sexual perversions. And people have suppressed the, the, the conscience and the awareness just as created beings of who God is and replaced it with a lie, replaced it with inner desires and passions. And it says in Romans 1, God has handed them over to those things. But you see, when a place, when a, when a person comes to a place of faith in Jesus, and believes that Jesus died for their sins. What God does through the power of the Spirit is actually, from that day on, is make you more aware of your sin. You become more sensitive to sin. Not just by knowing the Ten Commandments, but by the whole revealed word of God, of all of God's relationship with humanity. 
that as our our awareness and our knowledge and truth of, of who God is, as that becomes more real, so does the awareness of sin in our life. And again, not that as believers that should drive us to guilt and, and shame and, oh, I don't want to talk to anyone because they, I, I've made a terrible mistake and I, I, I know I can't do that again. I've just got to do X, Y and Z. No, 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 not, not to do that, but to bring us to a place to say, back to the cross, back to understanding what Jesus did, that he died for my sin, that I don't stand condemned for what I do wrong, but I stand forgiven. With a greater awareness of the truth, with a greater awareness of the truth, comes a greater awareness and sensitivity of sin in our life, which should drive us to a greater need of our Saviour, a trust and obedience to him. You see, we are all born with a conscience and we all have that level of of being informed of who God is. But a devoted mind and a life devoted to God's word, to, to spending time with God, leads to an attitude, not only a life of obedience, but an attitude that continually probes our mind. Hey, what if I go to that place, is that really honouring the Lord? Hey, I'm thinking, I really noticed that I've been thinking a lot about this recently. Is that, is that honouring the Lord? You see, if we've broken just one commandment, we've broken them all. Not I say if, we have broken them all. Well, who's going to satisfy the justice of God? None other than Jesus. None other than Jesus. Jesus came and died for your sin and rose again from the dead as the way for you to be made right with a holy God. No guilt and shame. Yes, you will sin. Yes, you will fail 100% until we are made perfect but may we be drawn to the cross this week and into this year to be reminded of what Jesus has done. We don't stand condemned, we stand forgiven. Father, thank you for sending your son Jesus. Sending Jesus, thank you that he came and he said, not my will, but yours be done and hung on a cross and gave his life What an almighty miracle to be seen as pure and right before you. May it be on our hearts this week to not live in any sort of shame or guilt, but to come to the cross of Christ and be able to proclaim who we are in Jesus, that we are freed, that we are forgiven.
that we are loved and you have a purpose and a plan for us. What a powerful message of hope. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.